Welcome to The Banker Midweek, your weekly look at what the industry is talking about, offering information bankers like you need to know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Banker Midweek for December 13th, 2023. And today, your Banker Midweek editors are almost the entire banker team. Sounds yeah. like the Muppets. <laughs> we have packed the podcast room here at uh, FT Towers. We're missing a few people due to holidays and, uh, you know, work. Mm. You know, the stuff that people do. But our listeners know that the Banker Midweek is our weekly discussion of stories live on the Banker site and newsy bits that will influence future stories. However, this is our last podcast of the year, and we've had quite a year. So today, we will be looking back. On the year that was, and we will not be leaving the banker.com once. Yay! Yay. Uh, because this is the website that bankers like you need only to get your information from. Mm. That was uh, that was less eloquent than I wrote it out. But anyway, <laughs> um, so what we're going to talk about here, before we get into the stories, um, as I mentioned, 2023 was a, a, a big year, and it was uh, not only a big year in the industry, but a big year for the banker. And I've been writing about, personally, digital disruption uh, in the banking industry for a very long time, but the banker itself had a bit of a digital disruption. A 97-year-old print magazine and we redid our website this year and rejigged our contact structure. Uh, we're also going to have a new magazine design which is coming January 2024. So Joy, do you want to talk us through some of the, the big changes we've seen on the website? So obviously digital disruption is never <laughs> easy and things but the outcome was really good. So we rejigged um, our content into different pillars that are really at the forefront of senior bankers' minds. So one was regulations, of course. Another is ESG and sustainability. We also have global economies, which really looks at country reports, which is what the banker does very well, as well as you know comments from central bank governors and finance ministers, etc. Obviously, that's John's pillar, mm -hmm. so he can talk uh, more about that. Um, we also have the banking strategies pillar, which looks at all the different types of banking, from retail banking, transaction banking, investment banking, uh, and capital markets, etc. Um, and then the last pillar is digital journeys. All the tech you need to know. Yeah, exactly. All yeah. the tech you need to know. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so everything is divided up into that. But at the same time, the banker is continuing its global approach. So getting news analysis, etc., from all across the world. But we've really ramped up all our content mm. online, which is amazing. We've uh, brought on three reporters. Yeah, help. we're going to have a shout out to them. Yeah. We've got three new reporters. We only have, uh, uh, we have uh, one of our reporters with us right now, Davide, who is representing all of our three new reporters <laughs> because they're, they are, our other two are working. <laughs> yeah, so we have uh, Alia Shibley, Amalia El Ilgener, and uh, Davide Montagnac. Thank you. Good enough. Good enough. I'll, I'll three have new it. names at the banker you'll get to know, and you'll, you'll hear in a, bit, a bit more from them later. Yep. Yeah, so it was a great uh, relaunch that we did in mid-November. So you can see all the new content, the way it's arranged, etc. Obviously, we're continuing with our big video interviews, our podcast series, and everything else that you know the banker for in terms of quality, mm. of coverage, um, and that getting sort of deep into the banking industry as a whole. All the things that we're well known for. Yeah. Well written, well well deep dives. Yeah. Yeah. Surfacing the interesting uh, you know, industry 
uh, news and analysis, etc. Mm. So yeah, six newsletters a week for all the information, global information you need to be a banker today is at thebanker.com. Very good. And I wanted to, as we're talking about the online right now, I wanted to have a shout out to our online editor, the strong man behind Woo! our online content, Sam Friend. How is, uh, what stood out for you this year, Sam? Hello, thank you for having me. Um, so for me, it has to be the, the runaway hype train that was AI. It's uh, probably mm. a bit overdone, <laughs> but we can't stop talking about it. Um, so this year it really exploded onto the scene in all sectors. Um, no one wants to be left behind, which would be easily done in such a fast-moving picture, but banking is no exception. Um, one of my favourite pieces for this year was from guest writer John Danielson, who is director of the Systemic Risk Centre at the London School of Economics. Um, he wrote a piece called Artific Artificial Intelligence as a Central Banker. The piece brought special attention to the fact that AI is still very, very nascent, has so much potential power, especially when there are plans to give it the reins to our most important decisions. Um, John recalls an incident from the 80s, writing, In the 1980s, an AI called Eurisco used a cute trick to defeat all of its human competitors in a naval war game, sinking its own slowest ships to achieve better manoeuvrability than its human competitors, which I thought was quite interesting and amusing. Um, but are we ready to give AI all of that power? <laughs> That's the big question, isn't it? Yeah. So is that battleships? Is that the way? Yeah. <laughs> is that the game? It was. No, yeah. what, wasn't it? There's a movie about it with Matthew Broderick, War Games. <laughs> it terrorized me as a child. <laughs> but um, let's see how things go in 2024. Will we move on to other things? Will AI no, continue no, to be keep rolling along? In fact, we've got a feature coming in the January edition um, uh, looking at AI. And there's a funny story in it um, where a bank did an experiment and uh, with a persona for a mortgage application and named their persona Monica. And the large language model confused this persona with Monica from the TV show Friends. <laughs> and since Monica got fired from her job in the TV show, she was uh, turned down for the mortgage application. Wow. Very strange. Anyway, read all about it in the January edition of <laughs> The Banker. Um, so not only do we have three spanking new reporters, we have a new investment banking editor, Michael Klein. Say hello, Michael. Hello. Excellent. <laughs> We're going to be coming back to you later to hear about your <laughs> some of your your highlights of, of, uh, of 2023. But we're going to go down. We're going to go talk to some of our uh, most well-known and well-loved uh, editors for uh, how they saw 2023. And we're going to go first to Kimberly Long, Asia-Pacific queen and also the editor of the Banking Strategies newsletter. How are Thank you? you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm enjoying being described as being well-loved. So I like to think that the warm <laughs> embrace of the banking community is around us right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this year is always as ever it's always interesting in the world of Asia there's always so much happening I mean there's always such a focus on what's happening out of China and you know I look at that in depth every year when we do the kind of China report around the top 1000 again Chinese banks dominate no surprise there um but I think it's quite interesting, like you see it kind of rumbling on for the rest of this year, this what's going to happen if the Chinese economy doesn't pick up again. Is this, you know, what's going to happen in the real estate sector? There's still mm. a lot of kind of shaky foundations there as well to kind of do a dreadful pun. But like it's um, it's very interesting how the rest of the world seems to hinge everything on China having some kind of insane 13 percent growth or something. But actually, if China can only muster up a whole 5 percent growth or something annually, it's... um. It seems to be 
something of an issue for the rest of the world, which is quite, which is always quite interesting. Kind of looking more broadly, I mean, headed off to the ADB in uh, Seoul this year, which was great to kind of see everyone there. And, you know, the ADB is so focused now on everything to do with green and the environment, and it has to have a very green angle to it. And they always have the member states from the Pacific Islands there and getting their kind of stories is just awful when you hear about how they're at the very like bleeding edge of climate change mm. and how that's impacting them. And then when you look at what's coming out of COP this week and you just feel very depressed about that when, you know, they're not even mentioning that the decrease in fossil fuels and mm. it's kind of how those islands it's almost like a death sentence to them which is not very optimistic but there we go it's still it's what's i'm sure that the adb next year that's going to be uh, what everyone's talking where about. is it again next year uh next year it's in georgia mm. because you know they cover some parts of europe as the ebrd covers some parts of asia which mm. is by ebrd but the nita last year was Uzbekistan, which is technically asia under our remit and then in georgia which is technically europe under anisa's remit <laughs> this year so it's um that'll be fun um and then just finally we talked around you know it's cybos this year for me, anyway, there was a lot of conversations around uh, India's UPI, which I mm -hmm. think feature on, which was like Uni unified payments unified interface. Unified payments interface. I know. I have to say, which it was the cover story again. for the November. November, November yeah, and I just found that so interesting how this country of the biggest country in the world, like depending on who you talk to, either 1.3 or 1.4 billion people, how they've managed to implement this payment system. But actually, the kind of the key takeaway from that is that it's not this thing that's been implemented overnight. This is like over a decade's worth of project that's got us to this point. So I think for anyone who is thinking, oh, how we could do that, it's like, well, you probably should have started doing the groundwork in about 2012 if you want to be where <laughs> India are now. And the most interesting thing I think about that is that foundation layer, mm. which is Adhar, which is the digital identity. Mm. Um, and I really loved your your cover story, yeah. really, because it explored also how other countries could maybe, you know, take, take learnings from UPI. And sure. But I think it's that kind of to have the the same kind of replication of the technology, actually, like you say, you need to have that digital identification in place and then you need to build on that. You need to have everyone have a bank account which is connected to that and then you can build on that, but everyone needs to have the technology to be able to use mm. it. And there are so many different layers to it. It's not just all smartphone technology. Some of it's like, mm. you know, feature phone, I think is the description, like old kind of old fashioned Nokia 3310 kind of technology. Whereas it's SMS based or there's a lot of like voice recognition and things like that, but then, it's just fascinating in, in, in India where there's so many different people and different languages spoken and a different, you know, very busy cities, very rural areas. I thought it was very fascinating to look at. Mm, excellent. Very interesting year and will continue to be mm. next year. So, John, we're going to move over to you, our Middle East Africa expert and editor of the Global Economies newsletter. It's been quite an interesting kind of time in the global economy over the past year, as everybody listening to this will vouch for. Um, yes, looking at Africa, first of all, I mean, Africa's, I mean, particularly sort of much of the region has kind of really been suffering kind of because of the sort of the high inflation kind of sort of the high interest rate environment. Um, sort of leading from the US, and that's kind of put pressure on a number of local economies in terms of currency, uh, in, in terms of currency devaluations and just pressure there. So um, so that's kind of been something that we keep on tracking, just how kind of governments are trying to kind of um, just kind of control inflation and just do the necessary while still kind of bringing, I mean, sort of maintaining sort of 
basic standards for the for their populations, which is a, which is an enormous challenge in so many circumstances. And it's been very interesting also seeing sort of the climate change kind of challenge that the continent is facing, particularly in sort of, I mean, places like East Africa mm. have just had devastating kind of droughts. And I mean, there have been floods and all mm. sorts of kind of tragedies that are sort of, that are really affecting Africa. And I mean, Africa sort of, the states will continually kind of point out that they kind of, they, they sort of are responsible for a tiny percent of emissions worldwide and, and sort of throughout history but are really at the sharp end of the effects of climate change. So you know, I think the African voice is starting to kind of become a bit more unified and a bit more prominent in, on the world stage. Uh, then, um, the African Union how, now has a representative seat on the G20, which gives them more of a voice. And the Kenya summit, um, there was a sort of a climate financing summit in November, which I think was quite a sort of a watershed moment for, for those who were, who were there. They sort of said that, again, there's people are starting to kind of take it seriously. They are speaking with one voice and some of the commitments are starting to come through in terms of the funding that's needed. It's still very much a drop in the ocean, but it's a start. And we hope that this starts to snowball in in due course. So um, in terms of kind of some of the big things happening in Africa, I mean, there are so many kind of things that one could talk about. Um, two of the big ones for me, uh, the Nigerian elections, which happened earlier this year um, with a sort of a new regime coming in, um, earlier on, and that re- and the new presidency really sort of starting to kind of take some difficult steps right from the get go. Right in the sort of the inauguration speech of the new president, um, there was fuel subsidies were kind of were raised at a stroke, and then very soon after that, there was a quite dramatic change at the sort of the helm of um, the Central Bank of Nigeria. And the replacements came in and sort of tried to sort of undo some of the sort of convoluted exchange rate um, structures that were there. Um, so I think sort of that cheered investors kind of um, throughout the continent and beyond initially, but the challenges do remain sort of formidable. And um, I actually had a sort of a discussion, a sort of a fireside chat with a finance minister on stage in November, and he said... Where no, was that? You, uh, you need to say where that was. <laughs> this was in Togo. Yes. In, yes, so the beautiful Western African country of Togo, my first time there. And so this was on stage. We had a sort of chat, and he said the sort of the path of reform is not going to be a straight line there um it's not going to be simple you have to have patience which you can un- you can understand although that has been the line that has been taken by many and many other governments sort of in the past so and i mean as we just look at it now the sort of the nigerian naira has fallen yet again has has shed about 23% of its value mm. in pre- in recent days so the challenges are formidable and then on the other side of the continent um again in togo i, ha- I had a fascinating uh, discussion with uh, Mamo Mehratu, who is the governor of the National Bank of Ethiopia. Ethiopia is the second most populous country in Africa and a country which is only just starting to see liberalization within its banking sector and its wider economy. And so um, there are a number of kind of um, opportunities that outside investors are looking at um, in terms of kind of the banking sector, particularly Kenyan players just on just on the other side of the border are really interested in coming in and sort of playing a more active role there. That being said, Ethiopia has got its challenges. It's kind of it's running out of its foreign reserves. And I mean, there is a sort of a call with um, with holders of its debt this this week, and it may well be the next country which is going to see a default. So it's it's a it's a huge market with a lot of potential, but a lot of challenges. So we will continue to to track that going forward. 
Interesting stuff, John. Yep, looking forward. So now, as I mentioned, I did promise you, Michael, we were going to come to you, our <laughs> investment banking editor. I was, uh, how you, see, you've been with us a few months now, so how was your second half of 2023? Uh, very good, <laughs> very, very busy, um, and kind of learning and, and catching up with things. Um, I think some big things that have happened since I've been here was the uh, the banker's bonus, mm -hmm. um, the UK mm -hmm. changing that, which was... Which the, was the scrap cap. The scrap, scrap cap, cap, scrap cap, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and kind of figuring out the effects of that, I think, will be, will be interesting. Mm -hmm. And what interested me just coming to it was that um, not all banks seem to universally uh, welcome it. Um, uh, which was which was mm. in, interesting for, for me, and they said that it might cause them a, a bit more a bit more work. Mm. Um, and in terms of like like employment law and contracts, which was which is kind of quite interesting, and mm. and um, it, uh, so that and sort of what percentage of, of their workforce is is uh, uh, EU and not the EU. So that was quite interesting. Mm. Mm. Um, so that will probably be something un, um, unraveling or rolling on next year. Um, and then also I found it quite interesting uh, learning about uh, investment banks and their approach to sort of climate disclosures mm. um, and these uh, this issue of sort of facilitated emissions and kind of capital and equity bond uh, sort of underwriting. Um, uh, and, and that's kind of very, very uh, technical. Uh, and we do have a global standard for that for, for that now, but not all the NGOs are, are happy with it. Um, so that kept me busy. Um, <laughs> yeah, very, very busy. Uh, so I was happy when that was filed. Um, uh, yeah. but, but it was really, really, really. It's our favourite time when we file a story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, done, <laughs> done, done. Um, and yeah, and T plus one as well. That, mm. That's kept me busy. Yep. Something about that. So that will be something next year. And all sorts, sorts of more things. Only about Basel. I started my career in investment banking, and they have been talking about T plus one. Yes, <laughs> for a long time. For a long time. Yeah. Now it's finally <laughs> happening. Finally here. Yeah. In some jurisdictions, yeah. some jurisdictions, and so the implications of that will be um, will be pretty pretty big, and certainly loads of things to get my teeth stuck into. Excellent, so. excellent. So yeah, now we're moving on to Davide. You're representing all the reporters. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, hi there. Do you know, yep. Well, welcome addition to the banker family. What was your what were your takes from this year? So I've. Again, I think there's been a lot of interesting thing happening this year, not just uh, on a wide variety of topics, including, you know, um, ESG related uh, um, things as well as AI and technology uh, advancements. I think that one for me, what specifically what stood out um, also related to one of the um, articles I've, I've had the chance to work on is how um, uh, we have we are seeing firms and financial institutions shifting uh, not only investing on projects to prevent climate change but also they're shifting towards uh, mitigation projects it's an evolving dynamic and i think is good for the for for especially for the global south but it also makes me feel like oh my god we're getting to that stage where mm. invest just investing in climate change just doesn't do it anymore we need to um branch out a bit more and invest on also mitigation but also, there's this whole conversation, you know, about um, AI just becoming like a taking center stage in banking. And and it's uh, I think it's very interesting to see, you know, how um, there's a lot of good things about it. But there's also like I feel like we have had the we have reported a lot on the ambivalence uh, of AI and how a lot of, you know, um, high uh, like representatives from the banking sector still think uh, that there's, there's pros and cons and we still don't know and it's a very interesting topic to dive into for sure and we'll see what happens next year about it um and 
also I thought was also very interesting the, the development about blockchain technology because it seems like uh, you know it's a uh, you know we, we always talk about stable coins cryptocurrencies and all those kind of new forms of payments and you would think that um, also the, the technology that allows these things to happen these things to uh, evolve would succeed as well but it's been struggling to take off in some cases but um, so uh, it seems a risky risky area but investments are um, seem to be still um, coming in. Um, so I think this will be also another interesting topic to um, to observe um, in the future. And then for me specifically, um, things that I've been had the chance to work on that I think um, that stood out for me where um, when I had the chance to interview the uh, the chairman of the Peruvian uh, Central Reserve Bank, uh, Mr. Julio Velarde, just to get an understanding of, you know, the inflation in Peru, um, how they're dealing with it, how, like, in, in the wider context of Latin America. Uh, it was very interesting uh, conversation, and they were performing very well at the time, and inflation now is even lower. So, like, they're doing well in spite of all the, all the uh, social and political unrest that they've had. So I think, uh, I think it's very enlightening to, to see what they're doing. Mm. Yeah, no, I, 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 I particularly agree. I think a lot of those stories are going to pop up next year that you mentioned. We're going to continue writing about blockchain and ESG and yeah. payments and all that good stuff. So finally, we get to, we get to joy. Well, not <laughs> finally. We're going to no? have to do you as well, Liz. <laughs> You're not escaping this. Come on. <laughs> you also have to be a part of it. But I don't mind going first. But uh, we also want to hear what your top stories. Well, you see, actually, I was thinking about this. It's not specifically a story. It's more um, what people talk about. And I'm, I'm often... Um, as much as I write about payments and involved with payments, how much payments still dominates talk and influence around mm. fintech and innovation? Mm. Um, I think more than it should. But you see like the battlegrounds that happen with central bank digital currencies and cryptocurrencies and stable coins. And, you know, since payments is the one financial service that kind of everyone in the world sort of touches mm. no matter where they are on the socioeconomic platform. You can see how it is the um, the gateway drug to fintech innovation. Mm. Um, but yeah, but it which was your blog. Which was my blog, which which uh, which got a lot of attention. Mm. Um, I'm good with the headlines. But um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it is interesting to see how, I mean, even that man, Elon Musk, who destroyed my beloved Twitter, um, you know, he's he focuses on payments as that entryway to people's financial lives and um i'd be interested to see how that works with balancing real innovation in this industry and um mm -hmm. improvements in financial services and this obsession with with coins and and crypto but yeah so i guess it's not a story but oh, it's more it's the a big theme. ongoing yeah, yeah it's a big theme exactly mm -hmm. okay all right joy editor all right <laughs> um well i think uh, my biggest story was my last <laughs> or my biggest interview was my last mm -hmm. interview so I was very fortunate to host in the FT studio Ajay Banga, who's president, the new president, 14th president of the World Bank. And I have to say that was a pretty exciting day and such an interesting interview. Obviously, he touched on a lot of the big themes that he also touched on when, you know, that he sort of promoted when he during the annual meetings in Marrakesh in October, which John was at. Mm -hmm. uh, but as well as just uh, recently, more recently at COP28, etc. But some of the big things was really redefining the, the mission statement of the World Bank to include a livable planet. So, mm. you know, the World Bank has focused a lot, of, uh, you know, for 
four decades on, um, you know, on tackling poverty. And then now they've added this new part, which is on a livable planet. So creating a world free from poverty on a livable planet, which I just think is, is really important at this stage for the World Bank and for other multilateral development banks, as you, Kim, pointed out. You know, the Asian Development Bank is really <coughs> all at the sustainability angles, etc. So that's one aspect of, of what he, he spoke to me about um, and where he's, he's also spoken about in different areas. He talked a lot about his passion to really get voluntary carbon markets off the ground, which is really important. And I think he has the support also of IMF's uh, managing director, Kristalina Gorgieva, to do that. Um, and then, he, you know, just his whole sort of viewpoint and how he's trying to widen the aperture of how the World Bank looks at what they're doing across the world, but then also not just being a money bank, but this knowledge bank, right? So actually providing and helping governments around the world to build up their capacity uh, and capabilities, etc. So I thought that was, it was a, it's such a fascinating discussion, and you can watch those videos on thebanker.com. And it's going to be the cover of the January Ooh, 2022. You've given away, you've given <laughs> it away. Um, but anyways, but in terms of uh, something that I went to, which I thought was really interesting this year, was I attended and chaired a panel at the Women's World Banking Conference in Mumbai, which was just, that was in May, at the end of May, and it was just really amazing. The people there were so amazing, et cetera. And my panel was really about, um, you know, focusing on the S or the social in ESG. Um, and I think that, for me, that has also been a theme this year. Um, and I think, Kim, you wrote about it earlier in the year as well, which is really about, you know, sometimes the E and the S actually conflict. So how do you, how do you, how does everyone manage that conflict? Um, on the one hand, but then also really like, you know, the social element is is maybe harder to measure, but equally as important as the environmental aspect. That emerged as a theme at the FT and the Bankers Global Banking Summit, uh, which a number of us kind of took part in, again, particularly sort of related to Africa, with some mm. of the conversations on the sidelines, again, coming back to this theme that, okay, Yes, Africa wants to do renewable energy and it wants to go green. But on the other hand, there are quite a few social challenges that mm. are still mm. there and need to be met. And there's a frustration sometimes about a sort of a not so well of country. They find oil, they find gas and they want to develop it. But then um, investment criteria for a number of the sort of the larger lenders say, no, we can't touch that anymore. But then, OK, well then sort of th that mm. country, that situation loses out on the sort of the economic benefits that brings. And also a sort of a less scrupulous lender from another part of the world might come in and just develop it, not sort of with um, with less of the benefits going to the people that deserve it. So mm. again, a big theme. We all agree it's been an interesting year Fantastic. For, the, for the industry and, and, and for the banker. Um, but before I close out, I wanted to mention um, our European editor and ESG queen and host of Banking in the Shadows podcast, Anita Hauser, who is on holiday, um, and also our Latin American and regulations editor, Barbara Pianese, who is on holiday, working. I think she's probably trying to file her feature. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the podcast booth with us, but we, we shout out to all her hard work this year as well. I also wanted to mention Simon Duffy, who is the muscle behind our world-famous awards, including Bank of the Year and Innovation and Digital Banking Awards, among 
others. Uh, he is very hardworking, but also very shy, which is why he's not in the podcast booth <laughs> with us. Um, but I also wanted to give out another shout out to people who are in the podcast booth with us. Um, I want to give praise and gratitude to our cross publication AV team, Louie and Eleanor, who are in the booth. They're waving right now. Yay! <laughs> and also to Katie, who we had this year, who is now off traveling in Australia. So um, these are the people who greet our online guests and fix our mistakes and to give us the confidence to produce our audiovisual coverage all year in the banker. So thank you very much. So here's to uh, next year, 2024, and a brand new banker. And I want to wish everyone a happy holidays. Thank you for listening to The Banker Midweek, part of the portfolio of podcasts from the editorial team at The Banker, available on thebanker.com and wherever you get your podcast fix. Search on The Banker Podcasts to listen to more.